1: Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm your host and expert, Lehman Matt Goodwin, and I am joined, as always, by your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. On this episode, we dive into our respective TGFBI results by slicing the draft into thirds picks 1 through 10, 11 through 20, and 21 through 30. We squeeze in a little discussion about formats at the end, too, and a note for listeners. We record these episodes days before they come out. In this case, it was recorded on Wednesday night, so bear with some of the mentions of there being no deal yet. It was true at the time. And so, without further ado, Alexander, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing this week, Matt? Uh, doing pretty well. Not uh, not going to complain too much. I suppose I could, but I, I won't. I, I will spare the listeners my, my uh, whining and complaining about things that are beyond all of our control. Um... We did wrap up. I mean, I wrapped up. I don't know when you finished. Did did you finish your TGFBI uh, draft this week or was it like one of those super fast ones that went like real quick?
2: Um, We are recording Wednesday. I finished today. I got my last. Oh, there you go. this morning. Um, Yeah
1: feel like it really dragged towards the end we definitely slowed down a bit yeah it's it's uh, you know i i I, on one hand it's kind of like all right we're at the end but at the same time it's like well but we're at the end you know like there's you want to make the the smart pick there at the end of your draft as well uh we're going to talk about all that sort of stuff um i want to start by talking about something that's maybe a little bit more of a serious tone than we generally take at the beginning of our episodes but I want to get your take on what it's like for you as a baseball fan, as a podcaster, as an industry writer, to talk about baseball during this lockout. Like, I I don't know. I feel like some people are kind of ostriching, like it's going to be fine. We're going to get it soon. Everything's going to be okay. There are like the doomsdayers who are like, oh, we're not getting baseball at all this year. Um and then I feel like there's a whole bunch of people kind of in the middle, as it usually works out to be right you a, a bell curve of things um I'm very interested how 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 do you kind of land in in that kind of spectrum of processing this this idea of baseball being locked out
2: so I think one of the big things that kind of changes how I process things is that like my idea of what I am as like a writer and stuff like that isn't like hyper focused on the idea of I'm going to produce content that helps you to rank players and draft them. And there are a lot of people who like do that all the time, are good at it and it's their job. And that is really stressful for them. And I want to make sure I don't like come in off the bat like people who just do rankings are like bad. That's stupid. And like not reflective of the reality. Like I care about the people who are stressed out about their job essentially being put on hold. Uh fan graphs is gonna struggle. Uh people like prospect live who like our run is basically a patreon is like one of their big income sources if people start canceling that because there's like nothing to care about like that hurts them right picture right. list had like p- survives in part because people like sign up for the discord and like that's still fun but like without baseball fewer people get paid to do baseball content and i want to just make sure i say off the top like there are a lot of people who have those their ac- actual job and they super depend on it i'm happy that i don't have to worry about that and this is just like a a thing that pays for my nfbc drafts or like microphones or like beer and that's basically all it like is relied upon for Um, so that is kind of like the first thing that comes to mind but because that, that is not the person who i am right this is all kind of just for fun um and my focus is pretty explicitly on baseball as a whole and then fantasy is just a fun way to kind of get into it and also like explore some other things i'm intru- interested in like you know economics nonsense <laughs> i really really enjoy this stuff in the same way that i enjoy talking about baseball um i think it's important to be able to engage with reality and you know like baseball is just reality with in a funhouse mirror i i, I think you have to care about this stuff and being able to go in off the deep end and talk about a bunch of complicated and really greatly important and rather reflective of other parts of our reality sort of stuff is like good. I, I don't hate doing it. I don't like want to log on and argue with people, but like, I right, don't right. loathe it in some sort of like, I don't want to upset people sort of way
1: yeah i I think one of the things that I've discovered, and you know i was I think I was maybe one of the people who was doing a little bit of that ostriching where it was like it's coming, it's coming, it's fine. if there's a little bit of a delay, it's okay again. I don't mean to be insensitive to people whose incomes are dependent upon. I think that's an excellent point. I am very fortunate that that is not the case for me. So I guess it's easy for me to be a little bit more laissez-faire about that element of it. So, uh, and I don't want it to come off as as though I'm trivializing that. I'm sure that that is incredibly stressful for all of these people whose income source is kind of generated around the game itself. Um, I've been having a a hard time as of late trying to um, get excited about continuing to talk about this thing that's making me sad. You know, I want to write an article. Uh, I want to come up with an idea. I want to get ready to go and, and, uh, set up, um, the, uh, the section that, that I, I kind of co-run with Ben Brown, uh, on, on pitcher list, our, Are we love baseball section. And, um, it's, it's kind of like this, this thing where it's, I I think, um, was it, uh, I was at, uh, I forget who I was talking to at some point, somebody said like, it's hard to love something that doesn't love you back. And it's right now it kind of feels like baseball's not loving us back. And, Um, I, I, maybe that's just me and and the way that I'm wired and that's fine. I'm sure I'm not alone in all of that. Uh, but you know, I want to be excited about these things. And then, you know, I sit down and and like, what are we going to talk about on the podcast? Okay. Well, we're starting to say a lot of the same things over and over again, because that's what there is to discuss and talk about. So we're trying really hard not to be overly redundant, but there's a lot of people out there starving to try and create content. It's a saturated space. That's a good thing. There's a lot of really smart things being written and said and done. Um, But without the game moving forward at its regular pace and being able to transition from off season content to preseason content to in season content, we're just kind of in this like, um, What's that place that you go when you don't go to heaven or hell? What's, what's it called? Purgatory, right? We're in this like baseball purgatory right now. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's feeling like a little bit of a bummer. I don't want to be like a, uh, I'm going to bring people down here at the top of the episode. I just was very curious as to the kind of the approach that that you were taking. I know that um, like you were talking about your economic side, you always sort of seem to have this like view on things that I don't. And I find it really valuable to hear your takes on those things because I, um, I'm thinking of it from a completely different lens, I guess. Um, but I do know how great it's going to feel when we finally get that that notification that the CBA has been worked out and it is coming back. And then we'll obviously have more things to talk about as they start playing spring training games and we can talk about actual on-field performance and where in the lineup has this person been. And I, uh, Mike Kurland has said that he's going to do kind of that spring training training deep dive stuff that he did last year again this year. So there'll be so much more to talk about. It'll be so energizing and nice to see it's it's just, it's, I don't know. It feels, uh, it feels kind of like the dark ages right now in terms of trying to figure out what it is that we want to discuss and talk about. So thank you for sharing your thoughts on that, Alexander. I kind of put you on the spot with that. I know I did. Um, but we can talk about some drafts, and I think that that's where we're going to focus. Uh, there's been a lot of industry drafting going on. You and I have participated, as we've mentioned before, both uh, in Razz and TGFBI. So we'll get a chance to talk a little bit about that. Um, there's other expert leagues that, that are drafting as well. Um, way above my pay grade so to speak uh the uh the touts and the labors of the world so there's uh things we can discuss there in different formats and there's a lot of like let's talk about the the infrastructure of fantasy that we can get into and i think it's going to be a fun and exciting episode i just i'm so sad that baseball is not part of the discussion of baseball it just seems so weird uh and so off um uh let's uh, go ahead go ahead yeah that also kind of like has some really funny but like not
2: funny ricochet effects on like all of these industry drafts as well yeah i I often like say that like the reason that i care about things like hall of fame voting and stuff like that is it kind of like forces people who talk about things to like reveal who they are and in a much less serious way we're getting some stuff that's mildly similar from like the content machine people like in a good way like people who like do all these industry drafts have good ideas and get to think about things because suddenly they're putting on the spot like when i say machine i mean it in a good way some people are just drafting and um uh, writing stuff like creating podcasts like every single day they get a new chance to like try out their priors yeah and, right 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 you know like, that means that there's constantly someone who's like oh I-, I had been working this way and then suddenly i realized i'm not drafting uh free agent outfielders who haven't landed and i realized everyone else isn't doing that and i went and looked and think these guys might be a st- whatever the, the take may be.
1: yeah try and find um, the market inefficiency that arises out of the situation itself
2: yeah and it, it's really interesting to see how a lot of people are kind of digesting putting that all together so like there is always a cheap silver lining that's not really actually silver that you can find around these sorts of things and <laughs> that's been like the one that i have pointed to recently for myself
1: yeah that's that's a good way of looking at it instead of my debbie downer outlook on things um let's talk a little bit about our Slam and t g f b i teams uh I don't wanna do like a round by round i there's a lot of people out there putting out that content um that's just not our wheelhouse it's not that it's not good content it's just not what we do um but maybe we could look at it in terms of slices so I'm gonna ask you where you wanna go first with that and then I'll follow the leader
2: yeah so one of the funny things about like having this on my phone over the past couple of weeks is that if you have like your digital <laughs> draft board on mobile is it slices it up into picks of five and then repeats the team names and it's forced my brain to think about the draft into like pieces of five and ten so what I wanted to do is kind of talk about for each of the first and then middle and then last ten rounds with t j fbi some of like the picks that we like really were excited and things that we maybe hit on, a couple of like the forced or unforced misses around. And then also just some bigger takeaways. Uh I definitely felt like the depth of this and also kind of like the stress at the top because of the pseudo-competitiveness of this really mm-hmm. made me evaluate things constantly in like a am I doing this right? Where are my priors a little bit weird? And Am I enjoying this? Um, and <laughs> so I feel like taking like a big view like that rather than just like talking about the guys at the top that everyone's always going to talk about. It's kind of nice. That's one of the nice things about 15 team leagues actually is that you don't get that many of those guys at the top. So you actually do have to think about a lot of other people in the process.
1: Yeah, most definitely. It, it definitely felt different with the 15 teams rather than the 12, especially coming off the Raz Slam. And um, something else we can talk about later on a best ball kind of format versus a weekly lineup setup um rast slam is two fob periods th- for the whole season um whereas uh, tgfbi is weekly so very different elements there one is points the other one is is Roto. so so many different things going on um and and formats that that we can kind of touch on there but um do you want to just start with the first 10 of your tgfbi and where you kind of saw some like Something, some, some value that, that you uh, really like that you did, something you like that you did, something that maybe you would do differently if you had it to remap out. Um, you can pick. Choose your own adventure today, Alexander.
2: So um, I feel like I didn't have as many complaints for myself in the first 10 rounds. Um, <laughs> I mean, just there are some a things that I wish I had been luckier about that maybe would have changed some choices that I would have made. But all told, I didn't feel like I did something that I deeply regret through the first 10 rounds. And there are some places later on where I don't know if I have some deep regrets. I have one that is really minor, very late, and it's kind of stupid. Uh, but yeah, I, I felt like I got really lucky a lot of times. Um, and I think we said this last time, I don't know how I ended up with Garrett Cole with the number 12 pick. Like, that's just stuff that happens because the people around you are doing stuff that you disagree with. And I had a whole lot of that and i didn't expect mm. to have a whole lot of that um so i mean it showed up later for sure but like if i want to pick out a, a guy that um i feel like i'm really really happy with it is max muncie i'm always the person that is going to be slightly higher on one or two injury risk e guys because i just don't think that we crunch the numbers on that properly and then uh came out this week Said this, almost basically fine. He's felt like he'd be on track for opening day, and the ongoing risk that opening day may be a little bit later seems like it's helping him right. even more. Yeah. 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 So, where did I, you get him? I got him in the ninth round. Okay. Did, I'm Somebody sure you, to tell you where
1: I got him. Yes, I do. <laughs> I got him at pick 163 in oh the 11th God. round.
2: God. So, okay. So, you got him where I got ahmed rosario oh my god. <laughs> god that's what we better value so um yeah i feel like that's a guy that uh shows up on a lot of my teams or a guy like him will show up on a lot of my teams. yeah yeah sure um so i wanted to say like that's the sort of like procedural i feel like i had set myself up for him to not be a miss and that's really what i wanted to say about this that more than just like ha, i was right y'all were wrong uh, so Yeah, I, right. i, I right. managed to pick him up after picking up brandon Lau. And later on, I was able to get Luke Voigt, who's another first baseman that I, I feel like if he's playing and I feel like he's going to be playing, I can trust. So I managed to build myself a situation where Max Muncy is almost my like M-I-C-I flex option in terms of my team yeah. building, even though he's way better than that. And that was the thing that I was really happy about for this draft as a whole, is that <laughs> thinking about depth and how to not just screw yourself, um, I felt like I was able to execute a plan to not get boxed in. I don't know if I'm going to call this as much a miss, but I never like it. So, the guy that I'm a little bit less good about um is uh, Giovanni Gallegos, just because I uh-huh. hate closers. And I got him with my first closer in the seventh round, about pick 100. That should be a v- good value. I just never like closers. And yeah, I- I'm scared that St. Louis was going to do something stupid at all times. So, yeah, that's kind of like my, my first slice. Uh, guys. Who do you want to kind of take a closer look at among your first 10 picks?
1: Well, I I have two things that I want to talk about, and I actually would like your feedback on, uh, rather than, than mine. Um, (laughs) I did, I, I took three people in my first 10 picks that I normally would not. I took two catchers and a closer in my first 10, um, not something that I would ever normally do, but I think the format pushed, well, first of all, closers have been pushed up enormously. Uh, so I took one that I am not confident in. I, I don't like the pick personally, but it was the right paper pick. I don't know if that makes sense. It was like, it it was very much a a brain versus heart kind of thing. Um, and so I took, I wound up with uh, Salvador Perez in the third, nice. something I would never normally do. I backed him up with Varsho in the uh, sixth round, um, partially because I kept missing on steals too. So he kind of helped me with a mm-hmm. little bit of a, a. I mean, he's obviously not stealing 40 bases, but it gives me a little bit plus it's catcher in a two catcher league where the catcher gets thin real quick. So I thought that that those were picks that to my mind were really good value compared to what other teams in the league are going to have in that spot. Um, and I took, ugh, I don't want to say it out loud. I took Chapman in the fifth. Um, it's uh, It's just so hard because once you get past a certain number of those closers it's really kind of like a dart throw for a a number of reasons either there's competition or the team might do some weird things and i feel like chapman is solidly in the role but could very easily not be because they're a team that's not going to tolerate his his craziness and and like inconsistency that happens um if he's not great right away, they could they have a bunch of other people who could take over that role really easily. He's got a history of kind of being injured or going through stretches of not being amazing. So I I held my nose and did that one because it it was the right pick at the time. It absolutely was. I still it's I it's not my favorite pick. So. Very unusual for me to to do two catchers and a closer within my first 10 picks, especially in such a competitive league. But I think in the end it worked out. We'll see how it goes. What are your thoughts on on what I did there?
2: Um, Yeah, getting two catchers in your first 10 picks is undoubtedly the smart move. I wish that I had been a little bit smarter and not ended up with the second catcher that I have. Uh, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there for sure. Um, you know how people say that they like to punt catcher? as a way to Mm. express that they don't know what they're doing in two catcher leagues. Um, I may have soft punted my second catcher a little bit. And uh, (laughs) the good news is I, I can rely on someone else to probably make a bad move and drop someone who's rather decent for some reason. And, you know, I'll read the room, but um, I definitely think it's smart to have two good options. Uh, Jordan Rosenblum got Perez and Smith back to back. I talked about that last week. I have Realmuto also because of the steals at catcher. I know I don't draft steals. I like Realmuto. So, like, you doing the same sort of thing I'm always here for. The thing about Chapman is, um, and I want to give credit to Dan Simborski as the person who most often points this out, you can always hedge playing time a little bit by looking at how much money people are going to make it's the reason yeah. Eric Hosmer is going to play a lot more than he probably should this year <laughs> and it's the reason why Chapman is going to close more games than he probably should this year it's ditto Will Smith probably and a few other people so like I yeah. don't love him but the chance that he gets yanked out of that role is a little bit lower permanently than I I, yeah
1: be. I think you're right but I do I do see them saying for the next few weeks we're gonna we're going to either you know ILM or we're going to have him come in in different situations or things like that. So, I don't know, it's shakier than I would want with a an investment that early in the position, but it it's it's a position that dries up real real fast. So, and I think I did a nice job of coming back on the back end since I took him there, I kind of didn't pay much attention to that for a while and still kind of came through with some some decent options later, which we'll get to. So yeah. uh, it feels like that was an Al- Alexander stamp of approval on on what I did there. I, I don't love it, but I get it. And that's kind <laughs> of like my I point. mean, overall, yeah. in terms of like the, you know, the two catcher approach and it's uh, yeah, very, yeah. very anti what I would normally do. So, uh, so you want to look now at 11 through 20?
2: as a bridge there i think the thing i want to say is kind of like a broader takeaway for how i felt through 10 picks is i was like oh we're we're into this draft like t- 10 rounds 150 picks right after 150 yeah. picks you know if you're used to playing 10s or even 12s right you're gonna have a lot of your team filled out right yes um, yeah i've i started out playing a lot of 10 team leagues because that's what a lot of casual people do i feel like and there are a lot of leagues where it's like you know, you got like pretty much most of your team set. Got like almost your entire starting lineup, and like
1: it is. Yeah, it different. got late early in <laughs> these drafts. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. Sure.
2: And I mean, I've been mentally working my way to that adjustment for a while, but like through ten rounds, I didn't have a shortstop, and I feel like 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 some, a lot of people have to not have a shortstop through ten rounds. It's just this is right. going to happen, right? I felt like I was the only one, and looking around, like there were actually like four other teams that didn't um i want to shout out team one of my league for taking both tatis and Wander franco again like congrats guy for really exacerbating the problem um <laughs> i feel like i see a lot of people's teams you're like yeah i double tapped bichette and lindor or whatever i'm like why did you do that why did you want to do that <laughs> so um that like, is maybe
1: like- i mean listen ju- not uh, just positing this you tell me if you think it's nuts but is it like if i'm hoarding the resource then other people don't have it it's still valuable at my middle infielder, but it's it's taking that away from somebody else's ability.
2: I, I don't think people actively do that. I think it's just like shortstops are good. They play all the time. They're bets to not get platooned. Sure. There's a reason you want them. Simultaneously, though, that was my reasoning for not taking them early. Is it's like, oh yeah, if I can get a shortstop late, those people are good defensively. They don't get platooned. So I just go get a guy in t- the 10th or 12th round or so. He's gonna play all the time, and that's a safer playing time pick than some of the other guys in that range. That was that was, if I'm kind of bridging into this area, a thing that was an active consideration once we left the top area. I'm someone who really, really likes to think about how playing time projections are wrong on like the 140 versus 150 game basis, but I deeply care about making sure I get people in drafts like these, where there is no ability to kind of like make the daily moves who are going to play every day so long as they're healthy um right and like a little bit of rest here and there isn't gonna hurt if you're playing six games a week regardless of whether or not there are seven on the schedule cool uh if you get rested for like a really bad platoon once and it turns into a five game week for you still cool like i'm just worried about situations where someone is going to like have like a three game week i want to avoid those as hard as i could
1: so and you're not going to be able to anticipate it or have somebody to fill in for them yeah
2: right so for the the 11 through 20 range this is picks from 151 to 300 um this was a place where my top priorities were finding uh depth flexibility and not stepping on the platoon landmine um i also needed bags <laughs> real bad because i'm yeah me don't too. like them so
1: it was such a thing
2: so the guy that i didn't initially like that i warmed up to quite a bit was josh rojas i got him in the 16th round um and like you know that's like we're getting into halfway done he's gonna be eligible for second base shortstop and outfield this year so i feel like that really helped me out in some different ways importantly also for him is that he's gonna be leading off for arizona most games uh that's, that's gonna be good so uh he's i think like a 15 15 give him 90 runs, give him like 60 RBI sort of guy. Maybe that's, that's a good case. I would take that for sure. That's bad. Um, the reason though, that uh, I ended up taking him is because I kind of screwed up a couple times on the turn in some ways. And I ended up with Ahmed Rosario as my starting shortstop. I thought that I couldn't get O'Neill Cruz. I just needed to grab someone. I'm not a big Ahmed Rosario fan, so i got him i don't feel great about it but he is gonna steal and that's basically why i took him um so there was kind of like a push pull of like my choices in there and uh maybe rosario ends up working out just fine i don't think i'm gonna drop him or anything at any point i mean chances are he plays through the year cleveland's gonna need him to but like that was that was definitely my thought is that i wanted to make sure i didn't do anything tremendously stupid through these rounds pick a guy who just won't play yeah and
1: right yeah yeah, it's you're you're a hundred percent right. When you start looking at, you know, you're you're looking at your eleventh pick, and the well has gone seemingly dry. I guess people who do these more probably are way more used to it. it doesn't feel that way for them, but it definitely did for me. Uh, like I said, I got Max Muncy uh, in the eleventh round. I felt like that was awesome. I was very excited about that, and then I was truly really trying to, ch- I guess, chase as much value in the places that I felt like I needed it as possible in these middle rounds without, um, going nuts, without reaching too far. There were people that I wanted that I could have reached for O'Neill Cruz. I would have liked to have gotten, um, I would have had to have reached, uh, and I just wasn't willing to do that just because I didn't, I didn't feel like it was the place to do that. So, um, I I got Ian Anderson in round twelve. I liked that um to go with some of my other uh pitches. I started off with Scherzer in, in my first 10, so that was nice. Um I was able to get Clayton Kershaw in the 14th. I thought that was crazy value. Um so that was pick 198. And I got a couple, uh, more closers here, uh, in this area. I got, uh, Dylan Floro. Is it Floro? Am I saying that right, Alexander? I think so. Dylan Floro. That's what it looks like. I'm sorry, Dylan, if I'm mispronouncing your name and then Andrew Kittredge, uh, in the 17th. So that was where I was able to kind of make up those, those saves after I got Chapman. I'm, I'm pretty happy with where that landed. Um, also again, this is, this is weekly fob. So if I'm, willing to, to extend myself a little bit and chase some saves on the wire, which always become available. I think I'll be okay there. Um, but I was definitely desperate for bags. And in my 16th round, I took Rymel Tapia, uh, because I kind of felt like I needed to, it was very similar to, I think to what you were doing there, except your, your guy has more positional flexibility. So you probably wind up with a little bit of a better situation there. Um, I also was able to get uh, Paul Seawald from uh, from Seattle there in the nineteenth. I know he's not guaranteed to have the job, but I kind of felt like he's he's a good arm. He's probably the better between him and Giles. Giles might get the nod, as you said before. Maybe he's because he's making more money. Maybe because he's got the name recognition. But I really feel like it's not going to be long before there are save opportunities there for him. So um, that's kind of where I went there. Any thoughts on that? I mean, it's
2: i feel like really really tough to just like get through that feel like you've been covering all of the bases that you need to cover and like not hate yourself and yeah like, did you feel like you did you feel like through 20 rounds like you had like a team that was doing all the things
1: that you needed it to Except for steals. I, okay. I actually did feel pretty good about where I was going with, with all of this stuff. I, there were a lot of a lot of guys that I was like hemming and hawing at the turn. So just a reminder, I was picking at 13. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I would pick and then four people would come off the board. I'd pick again and then like whatever it is, 20-something people would come off the board. And it was very hard. I would hem and haw a lot. I'm happy with what I got, but I know that I lost a lot of players that I wanted um because i made a tough call in a moment and there was just no way that 26 picks later they were going to be there so i think i felt more more um uh what's the word i'm looking for uh i was a little bit more i disheartened is probably not the right word but for the players that i wanted that i didn't get then i feel bad about who i wound up with i don't know if that makes sense but did you how frequently did you feel like you got sniped by like your turn mates well, one of my turnmates was Eno Ceres, so uh a bunch <laughs> of times. Um, you know, it's it, I, I think I actually tweeted this. Uh it one thing about being sniped by Eno is at least it makes you feel like you are thinking the right way. Um, <laughs> it's validating in that way and frustrating in another. But uh, you know, I I felt like more that uh I was like oh this guy might make it back to me I got my hopes up and then it wasn't really a snipe because it was maybe like 6 or 7 picks before I even had a chance but like a bunch of them had happened you know like 13 people had come off the board and I was like oh maybe maybe nope <laughs> nope that that's gone and there were these runs too where it was like okay I can survive until the next round until for this position or for this category. And then like all the steals guys that I was eyeing went within one kind of turn or or something like that. So I think I was feeling the opportunity cost more than I was feeling bad about what I wound up with. Uh, I don't know how those two things can happen at the same time, but I I, I guess that's kind of where I was at. I feel like the big
2: takeaway I had, like at every moment is like, I just basically decided that outfielder was a thing I was only going to take if I really hated my, all my other options and like i just filled it last along the way for the most part yeah i did too yeah and as a result like i would have like basically an a plan and a b plan and then an outfield plan at all times so i basically just never allowed myself to think i was getting sniped (laughs) on outfield and as a result i would watch and i'd have like for example 17th round i wanted to get my second catcher and there was a Five catcher long run before my turn. Darno, Sanchez, Narvaez, Haas, and Kelly all went in the five consecutive picks before I went. Um, Yeah. So I just said, I'm going to kick it down the road again. And sure. Um, So I got Luke Voigt there. And there were a couple catchers taken in the next like 30 something picks, but no one I wanted. And I ended up getting um, Max Stasi. And he'll play most of the time ish, you know, have a pretty large side of the platoon. And uh, for the angels and he'll be somewhere in their lineup i guess and that's about as good as i felt like i could do he's probably a 20th or so best catcher sort of guy and that's not the 24th maybe he's 15th who knows it's not a big difference at that point and that's what the, the yeah. catcher people all right. say is like the gap between the middle bottom and the actual bottom is all trivial so why go first in this case like i would have been really happy to get Darno i i guess i didn't um but like i got void as a result of that i feel like i got yeah right bailey ober on my turn wait mate uh, and i ended up getting mark Tenna there so like that was when i actually took an outfielder so i feel like that mid rounds is just like a am not making any choices and i'm letting other people make choices for me and where they go wrong, I would just try to capitalize every turn. And it really mattered that I wasn't boxing
1: myself in and
2: leaving myself with big holes to
1: fill. And that was, that was all I could yeah. go for. Absolutely. That makes sense. Um, I would like to go through these, these last 10 picks. And because I think that this is, this is one of those places where like the Cedric Mullins of last year is, is, is lives and not that there is a Cedric Mullins for this year, but that's, that's where he went if he was drafted. Uh, But before we get a chance to uh, kind of debrief these last these last picks in our TGFBI rounds, we are going to take a very short break. And we're back. Uh, We're going to kind of go through the last 10 picks. Uh, TGFBI is a a 30 uh, 30 person per team draft. Uh, I did not say that very eloquently, but I think you understand what it is that I'm getting at. Uh, So we're going to go through picks uh, 21 through 30. Alexander, take it away.
2: So the theme of my last 10 picks was old.
1: um, Because
2: (laughs) I'm kidding mostly because um my strategy is that i take the risks at the top Mm -hmm. i take buxton at the top and then to replace buxton if he gets hurt i need to make sure that i'm not taking another shot at the bottom and that is extremely reflected in my team composition uh so i ended up with and please laugh along the way as much as you need to (laughs) but i promise it was an execution of a plan I ended up with uh both Andrew McCutcheon and Lorenzo Kane on back to back picks at one point. Um I think Kane might actually be my I don't essentially boxed in replacement. Point, yeah. yeah. Especially um, if
1: outfield is where you were were um a little bit lighter, yeah. In- yeah.
2: Um I got Isaiah Kiner Falefa as my like shortstop third base backup. He'll play for a little while, maybe Texas replaces him, who cares? I'll dump him if I don't, sort of guy. It's like these yeah, are all my skills sure. came from. Um yeah. <laughs> I got uh, both Diego Castillo and Colin McHugh as late, late, late closer flyers that I can dump. You know, Colin McHugh's unsigned and like was basically the best pitcher in the world. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but was really good last year. And was like, he, is
1: he unsigned? I thought he was uh, with Tampa or was at the end of last year.
2: He was with Tampa last year in that hybrid like okay. long, high leverage slash sometimes opener role that was just like,
0: yeah, yeah really,
2: yeah. really valuable for them it would not shock me if a team picks him up to like have some sort of meaningful role that, and this is the idea here. I could start him like pretty frequently on this team as a wins and ratios benefit in strikeouts, even to a degree like beneficial guy, like medium, medium good strikeout. Right. And like, would that be better or worse than st- starting a seventh starting pitcher? who just isn't very good and could blow everything up. So, right you know, and what are the odds that maybe he gets signed somewhere to maybe be a closer? I don't think it happens, but like, you know, let's say that um name? let's say he goes to Philly, right? And like a couple weeks in, he suddenly Philly's closer.
1: Cool. Yeah, it's it's not crazy. You know, I I I um I definitely am a proponent of uh I would rather have a high leverage reliever even if there's almost zero chance they're gonna get a save filling a spot than a real meh uh, starter just because that person's a starter. I think that they could do more damage. Uh, You don't want the zero. You're not going to start an empty spot, but I'd I'd rather have Aaron bummer. I think uh, in, in there, than I would, um, you know, some guy off the scrap heap who could totally blow up.
2: Let's say, let's be really rude here. Like, um, Miles Michaelis or Luke Weaver or some guys who went in the last couple rounds. No, no offense to them. Matt Manning. Um, One of the pieces. Those guys don't have upside, right? There's
1: not really a chance that they're going to be really, really good. I tried to. I tried to get pitchers late that at least have upside, even if it's unlikely. Um, or I have the problem is I might have to hold on to him for a while to find out. That's where it becomes challenging. But. Yeah,
2: the, the way that I expressed that was pretty simple. Um, In the twenty first, I took Eric Lauer as a guy who I think is going to be a starter, and like I'm going to put him in. The defense is good. The opponents aren't always that good. He'll get some starts for me. He'll definitely start in any two start week for me for the first little while while I have him. I don't think he's as great as maybe Nick has said he is, but I'm fine with him. <laughs> And then you got like Nick sure. Pavetta as like a, he'll strike some people out. He might have a job. And mm, I don't think he's that terrible because I think he's found some more stuff in Boston than he had early on uh, sort of guy. And like, that's when I stopped taking like current starters and kind of pivoted. You know, I got Tyler Beatty in the 29th. I'll drop him. if I, not. I
1: actually kicked myself for not remembering to, to draft him
2: yeah um Sad. the guy I'm, i kick myself for not drafting actually is nick lodolo um rosenblum got him and i'm annoyed i had the opportunity mm, i to got him, him in raz i didn't get him in tgfbi yeah, yeah i've been mean, uh, sniffing around a dynasty to trying to pick him up as well it is like because really i was like oh actually like he's gonna be up really quickly and kind of digging into what he did or it did in the minors and like his profile i think he actually can survive pretty well in cincinnati we'll see well i'm just mm-hmm. trusting other people's opinions but like he seems like the sort of guy who could definitely like be okay and have a high floor which is probably a nice thing for a rookie so anyways but like yeah like all the guys i took here late um like juan Yepes is like the only rookie on my roster it's very much a i did the research making sure you fill in as many games played for hitters as possible is important and for pitchers what i found is that the gap between a zero and like a streaming starting pitcher is not very far and in a lot of cases if you've got a like wins or steals vultures and good ratios reliever that might be better to start so i think there's gonna be a lot of weeks where i start six starters two closers and one middle reliever essentially with like the you know Uh. diego castillo is like that guy on my team right now because i think he actually might shake out but i think i might drop him and pick up someone else in a similar position I think well, you and you can get away
1: players. with with that sometimes because you get some sneaky wins in a quality mm-hmm. starts league. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get that, right? You'll yeah, never get a yeah. quality start from a um, <laughs> a middle reliever, but you can snag a win sometimes. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, the thought. Good teams uh, only, though. To be clear, <laughs> yeah, definitely, or are really good pitchers. You know, even if they're not on a great team, you're not gonna get the sneaky win. But if they're gonna go out there and they're gonna you know, I don't know if they're in in four innings or three innings. They're going to get a handful of strikeouts a couple times a week. That's better than I. I still think that's better than a a, a starter who could co- totally kill your ratios. Yeah, um, I had like a whole yeah,
0: list of those
2: guys. Um, and I ended up with McHugh, but um, Daniel Hudson for the uh for the mm-hmm. Dodgers. I felt like was a another name. Like he's got plenty of experience in like a long term. He's in his like mid late thirties, but his strikeout rate has stuck there he's gonna be in leverage i think he'd be a guy that would work there and uh tim meza in uh in toronto had like a just disgusting strikeout rate and the contact profile was
1: good and he's somebody like a tyler I, matzik though in atlanta you know yeah it, yeah,
3: yeah so like, many of those of guys
1: yeah yeah 100%. i think that and my dynasty up as like
2: a oh actually look his walk rate went way down last year towards the end Maybe he's good again, and I'll drop him in two weeks and if he's not uh sort of guy. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, but there's... It, right, that's that's what you can do, you know? And he showed some promise, so uh, I don't know. He, he can be very good. Um, on my last 10, I, uh, I, I, I kind of just went with who did I think was the best option at the spaces that I needed positions. Um, I took a chance on Kevin Biggio. I know that there's a chance that he's just a guy. Um, but he has been more than just a guy, whether that is just dumb luck or not. He isn't go- he is going to be in an amazing offense. So, um, you know, even if he's just getting on base and contributing runs, you know, that's that that's something. It's something more than nothing in the twenty third round. Um, your guy from last year, Tyler Naquin, I know how much you loved him. Grabbed him. I was able to get Zach Granke in the twenty fifth round. I think that's a high upside play. Um I think I mean, there's a good chance he, he was
2: kind of like tired basically just like like a lot of other people were because he ate so many endings last year like sure know, but I mean he's that great, you know bit.
1: like I, the the people that were going around him just don't have the the ability to I, and maybe he's just gonna not have any gas in his tank that's fine that's possible but um I also in this uh you know I got Sixto Sanchez who could maybe not even pitch uh to Nelson Lamette who was good and then not good so i mean of that mix i i, I think Grinky stands out um i was able to get Jose Miranda i think that's uh I'm, mm. I'm excited about the possibility there i really wanted to get um Josh Young in a lot of these until he had that enormous setback so i feel like Miranda's kind of a uh it steps into that role a little bit um, and I got Paul DeYoung in, with my last pick. And I think, again, a shortstop that's going to play. Um, I was pretty happy, actually, to be able to get him uh, with pick 438. So um, overall, I, I I think I did OK, um, especially for my first go at a TGFBI draft with with a, a really challenging group of guys, uh, really sharp people that I was drafting with. Uh, top to bottom I and mean, people that you would know um like Eno, uh Carlos Vaccano, um and and even people that that maybe people don't know like me, I'm probably one of those people. But there were everybody was very purposeful in their their choices. You could see they were executing plans and um even if it wasn't a strategy that I would have employed, you could see what they were doing and they were they were making it work. So um, I, I, it was what a wonderful experience i'm not sure how it's all going to shake out but um, that's why we play the games hopefully <laughs> so
2: a quick like thought for you here uh whenever you go to like the my team sort of like view you know you get those like fantasy pros yeah. grades and stuff like that i don't personally put a ton of stock into those because they kind of just add up your totals and like i preach against that but it's always fun they to also see. assume
1: that the team is going to be the same all year long. Yeah, I, I would actually think it applies more in the like Razz than it would agree, um, yeah. for, for TGFBI. Um, I mean, I can tell you what mine says. My my um, it's actually kind of silly. My my TGFBI score came out as an A minus 92 was the overall grade. Um, but I actually do have fantasy pros this is not a plug uh they, they didn't pay me to say this but i do have fantasy pros i think it's one of those things that's like on auto renew and it just happens and in, in the darkness and i haven't stopped it um and you know listen there's there's good resources there um I use when I, funny, yeah 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 there's a lot of really smart people that contribute to Mm -hmm. contribute to fantasy pros so um whatever it is what it is but when i go in it it actually tells me i got an a plus and a 99 and i'm projected Mm -hmm. my projected league rank is one instead of three so i mean again i how much stock do you really put in these things if it was if it was like a a put it on the board, kind of like set it in stone thing. We wouldn't need to actually have the matchups. I've had plenty of years where I've come out of the draft with a nice rank from whether it was rotowire software or fantasy pro software and didn't finish anywhere near. And then there have been years where I came out as, you know, I was going to finish dead last and made the playoffs. So the year it's a long season. There's a lot of moves. The people on your team now are definitely not the same people that you're going to have all year long which this thing kind of presupposes but i do think it's it's more like a did i blow it or did i do okay and so i feel like i did okay that's all i that's kind of my takeaway
2: yeah similar sorts of things when i scanned some of my other places i mean if you have some sort of like numerical foundation to base your draft picks on and you don't just totally screw it by like having to like draft a bunch of guys that your numbers say are crap because you've made bad choices like i'm not gonna say ahmed rosario was a terrible pick by my own markers he was actually supposed to be better than adp at that point i just never have believed in him in my life so i <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he's the sort of guy that you've always been able to shift shift by playing him straight up and he'll just hit it right up the middle and right up you know like the second basement like teams used to like play shifts where they'd just like go closer to the back (laughs) like it was weird um yeah so he's he's the cigar guy where it's like in this he looks good my heart didn't love it but then i'd put it other my heart loves it picks that probably don't show up great in these sorts of things so like if i'm like a 89b plus in my tgfbi whatever i'm like yeah sure great thanks i didn't totally screw up cool um and i i don't worry about that stuff um but yeah it's it's fun
1: it's fine It's fine. Uh, shout out to those who are making the projection systems though, that, that do all this. That's a hard thing to do. Um, I will, I will just say I, I tended towards the bad X for my offensive projections and I tended towards ATC for my pitching projections and did some more blending and and my own stuff. But, um, without all of that hard work from those people who are pouring over those numbers, there's, there's, no basis for, for me to be able to go in and try and do that. So my, my gratitude to all of you out there grinding, uh, with projection systems, that's a, that's a tough thing to do. Um, and, uh, I appreciate, I appreciate the effort. Um, we had talked about that for a lot longer than I thought we were going to. And, and I think that's fine. I think it's, it's interesting for us to be able to kind of go through that. Uh, we've got maybe like, 15, 20 minutes left. Um, Let's move into just kind of talking about using these formats, these industry formats, do like a a case study on industry expert leagues versus other other, uh, like home league type stuff. And um, there's a whole bunch of stuff in our rundown here. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to go through the rundown and the options. And then I'm going to let you, again, choose your own adventure. That's going to become the theme. So I'm going to go through all of the options here. I'm going to let you choose where we start. And maybe, uh, listeners, if there's something that I mentioned that we don't get to that you want us to talk about, you can, uh, you can email us, dugoutstudyhall at gmail.com. You can obviously get us on Twitter, uh, either individually or at the pod. Um, and, uh, and let us know that you'd like us to, uh, to talk about it. Real quick. Real quick before we do this, I just want to acknowledge, uh, in the deep, our, our friends at Pitcher List Pods, uh, Schwabz and uh, Jordan White, who took us down in the first matchup, the first head to head matchup in the uh, the baseball pods tournament of uh, of podcasts. Um, yeah, it was a I, it was I a cannot tight imagine. Yeah. It it was it was yeah. pretty close. Uh I but I can't imagine losing to a couple of nicer guys. I hope you guys do really really well. Next year though we're coming for you. Um so here are the topics. Here are the topics that we can talk about. We could talk about uh the nuanced differences between things like TGFBI and Raslam that that tend to be widely inclusive. Um and then in, in industry expert leagues like Labor and Tout that are more exclusive. And that's not, it's not a dig. It's not, I don't mean any negative connotation It's just kind of the way that it is. Uh, we could talk about salary cap versus snake draft strategies that matter or don't. We can talk about uh, leagues that are more best ball versus weekly lineups or daily lineups. We could talk about leagues that are more fob versus draft and hold where you still set a lineup every week, but you don't get to pick people up off of waivers. And we could talk about how all of these industry leagues versus high stakes leagues versus home leagues kind of settle out. We have talked a little bit about that before, but we could maybe dive a little bit more deeply into that. I'm gonna let you choose your adventure, Mr. Chase. Where do you want to go so The thing that really kind of like
2: made me think most over the past uh week and change was a combination of things that are all kind of anchored around um like the salary cap style leagues um okay. there was uh some really weird and funny discourse about i think it was like a a labor um salary cap team or like league where someone had like gone after a bunch of uh, dudes with like injury risk and stuff like that
1: and mm-hmm. there's just for clarity's sake uh, salary cap leagues not something that is a brand new invention if you haven't heard the term before it's uh it, they're previously known as auction leaks uh moving away from that term just just for clarity's sake moving away from that term to salary cap leaks yeah yeah and I, there was
2: some weird hubbub about it about like you know how you can't win if you're building a really like risky team and I mean, it was mm-hmm. very much a people talking about formats differences and i think most people kind of like smoothed over it but it really made me think about some stuff like that like how how much choice you get in that format then we saw a bunch more of them come in and we saw a lot of people like like uh rates and barrels talked about one bunch of other people talked about theirs and one of the things that spun out of that was a tweet by rudy gamble about how there really isn't any option for psychological strategy in uh, these sorts of games i don't know if you're like have you done a salary cap league recently enough to like have an experience? I've never
1: done a baseball one. It feels very overwhelming to me. I've done football. I think it's the best way to draft a football oh, team. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. when you're drafting a football team, there's a, it, you can get it done in, in four hours, maybe five hours. Uh, yeah. Baseball feels like it would go on for all the live long days. But um, so definitely something I'm not opposed to. I, I like that it's very different. You can be in on every player. But no, I have I have not done a baseball salary cap style league yeah so like
2: i'm sure you've done this in football then where you will like early on toss the names of like guys you don't want um
1: that'll cost a lot
2: yeah to make other people have to get them and you know rudy's like doesn't really matter and one of the things he was talking about though is that his experience was i think based on doing it for labor or tout mostly uh and he's a guy mm-hmm. who like, is really competitive in labor and tout, especially in those sorts of formats because he's a numbers guy uh for Ras Rasball, and you know the more vibesy style people do tend to have an issue in some of those places, relatively speaking. Um, And one of the things that got kind of like rung interestingly for me is like, I had very recently finished up like a startup salary cap uh, draft for a dynasty league where uh, that was not true at all. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) we were definitely able to gave the room a little bit. And I think that that experience has really made me think about though, like, the ways the people at different positions, the ways people different sort of archetypes, and like, you know, just generally speaking, like the guys that get more recognition and who are more fun kind of tend to play out in those sorts of ways. And I thought it was really interesting to what, to like, compare how I have to operate and think versus like, you know, just like strict hit the numbers, guy go for $25 next sort of thought. thought. And um, yeah. I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, so I, I'm curious and like, um, you, you've been in one of these rooms before. um You ever been in that situation where it's like everyone like overspent for like the first hour and like nobody has any money left?
1: It's interesting how things go. I, I think that it really does have to do with who gets called when. I, I <laughs> and it makes sense to me that in an expert industry league where people are uber prepared and uber knowledgeable, even if they're not super numbers people, they know baseball. They know the player pool. They're really good about kind of gauging values. I, I was listening to Nick kind of go through his process and how he had put values on on play uh, positions, not people. Um, it, it was just very very interesting the approaches. So I can see not being able to gain an advantage there. Like if you're playing if you're playing chess against chess masters, right? Like everybody kind of understands what you maybe are trying to do in in a of a, a more friendly league um i do think that there are, are ways that you can kind of nominate with a purpose um where maybe early on you you throw out like a in football kickers right the adage is don't spend more than a dollar on a kicker so um you know maybe late when there's a when there's money left over somebody goes haha i'm going to go 2 dollars on that cuz i can Whereas early on, nobody's going to want to take that extra dollar off their board because they don't know if that's going to be what they need to be able to get that $9 player in the middle of a draft. Um, so I, I definitely think that there's there's like ebb and flow. What I, what I disagree with is that you can kind of know ahead of time what that's going to be because it's so vastly different depending upon a particular auction, a room. You know, if Tatis gets nominated early and goes for big money, that changes everything and... and there's no way you can gauge that ahead of time. So I think that there are some human behavioral things that you can anticipate. I think um, that especially in a, a home league situation where maybe people aren't as, uh, as with all of the details and the depth and, and everything, right? Because it's not what they do every single day. Um, it's easier. But I don't think that you can go in and say, okay, I have, I've created this algorithm that is going to predict human behavior. And then I can execute the draft that way. And maybe that's why for a numbers person, it feels like it's a useless endeavor to try and game the system because you, the way to game it is, is less with, with a, like I said, like an algorithmic approach and more like a I I have a sense, or I've got my eye on that board. So being, if you're a numbers person who kind of needs to have things set up ahead of time versus somebody who can recalculate on the fly, that's gonna be a big difference too. Yeah. Um anyway, I don't know if did I answer your question at all? <laughs> I think you kind of did. Um, in that like <laughs> things
2: get weird is kind of the point that I wanted to make. And yeah, like, one of the things that occurred to me seeing his comment kind of like trying to figure out how well it matched some of my past experiences because i played a lot of different salary cap leagues over the years and that's one of the things that actually got me to like try to start doing any of my own stuff Is like i had this bizarre salary cap league with a required dh spot and no one even has that option for like the fan graphs auction calculator and stuff like that so um mm. what got me thinking though is like the vast majority like vast vast majority of actual drafts like that that happen are not populated by actual experts and even those that are still get off the rails um and sure so like the idea that like you know when you're playing against rational people you know like you can't really gain an advantage by like i did nominating Adalberto mondesi early because i wanted someone to spend too much on him um like yeah where's that room was kind of my thought and um what that what that kind of like brought out of me it was like i probably need to be thinking a little bit more about the ways that the things that I do, do or don't take account, take into account the idea that people are going to be irrational. So like TGFBI, I didn't take Paul Goldschmidt, like I said, because I knew that I'd be able to get a first baseman that I valued quite a bit later on because other people aren't going to be valuing people the same way as me. In this dynasty startup, I found that outfielders of basically any age um and first basemen of basically any age that don't steal basement bases all went for less than i would have predicted relatively speaking so like i got george springer for a deal i got um nick Cassianos for a deal basically every first baseman went for a deal other than like matt Olson, who would like at price um vladdy even went for relatively less than i thought he should have in this particular mm. format and like trying to reconcile like can I predict these things? I think there are a few cases around the edges where I think it isn't a fully futile sort of thing. I think we can kind of plan to say that, like, yeah, Jesse Winker probably will slip a little bit. And so you don't need to take someone in the 50 to 675 range. You can bank on him later. But, like, that's what this sort of thing all kind of got me thinking on is, like, it's not that really... Those leagues require a different style of thinking. It's that they like kind of help to uncover how crazy we all are and just kind of ignore it because of snake drafts. And mm. that was kind of a fun, it's like, oh yeah,
1: duh, sort of
2: experience.
1: Yeah, now, I mean it's the salary cap approach. I, uh, it seems like there are definitely trends, but you just don't know where the cliff is going to be or who the people are going to be. You know, when when the room is flush at the beginning. You wind up with people going for value, but once the top, you know, let's say Tatis goes for, I don't know, what's it what's a crazy number on a $260 budget? Is fifty yeah. fifty yeah, a
2: let, lot? Let's say that um like a Yahoo style like 12 team league, I know that he should probably go for somewhere in the forty to forty-five range, but let's say he goes for fifty-five.
1: Yeah, right. So he goes for fifty-five there's actually a chance that somebody's going to go for an even crazier amount because somebody wants a a top two shortstop, right? So maybe they go for 56 or maybe they go for 51, which is still more than it's supposed to be because everybody's kind of got that money and they they, like, I'm going to, I'm definitely getting one of these two guys to start off my team. Um, There's also the situation where, you get the so you get the bargain if you go for the superstar that's the first one off the board the second one because they're the last person in the tier might actually go for more um then there's like these lulls in the middle of the those kinds of drafts where there's value and then at the end you you wind up with all the people who didn't go in with these bankrolls who can come over the top of you and wind up driving the prices up on the 4 5 6 dollar players and make them 7 8 9 dollar players um but you're never going to know when that's going to happen or who that's going to happen with. And and you don't, it's, it's not like there's an ADP for, for salary cap, right? You, you can nominate in whatever order you want. And that's another wild card. It's just, there's too many variables to try and quantify and, and, and um, figure out. So I, I really like that about it because it, it feels more human. And to your point, human is sometimes chaotic. Yeah. So one of the things I did to try to like figure out what to do amidst
2: all that, and this is truly insane behavior on my part, all told, is because I'm the commission (laughs) of this startup. So I need to like be there in case anything freaks out and like someone nominates the wrong person or like clicks the $15 bid instead of the $5 bid, which did happen. Um, But all the while, I had a Google Sheet going where I would, compared to like my projected values for people, write down what they went for. So all the while, I was tracking how much had been spent how much talent had been taken off the board and then the difference between how much talent was remaining and how many dollars were remaining i had like written some like things so i just type in nine besides uh josh bell or whatever and it like automatically calculates it and it goes to a place this is is what i do for fun um and i was able to find (laughs) that within an hour or so people had spent 200 more dollars than the talent that had come off the board and a lot of money had come off the board. And so what that meant was that an hour and a half in, there was significantly less money than talent remaining. And it persisted that way basically until the end of the draft. And I was able to get 5 to $10 discounts on seven, eight players. And that that that's how you win, essentially, is just being able to keep track of that. Whereas on the other side of things, if you notice that you're in the opposite direction, that more people are holding money, you can track that that people have been going for deals you need to spend now in that sort of situation because it's gonna it, it's things you're going to reverse so yeah. it is possible to measure that and come up with a, a strategy that's reactive based on that that like you can't plan one way or another and it's really labor intensive to do what i did like i had to be paying absolute attention for like four hours straight on one night and we only got halfway through the draft for the Fifteen seconds that I turn my back away to pull up my phone charger, say a a situ- coupon for two dollars, and I'm still upset about it. <laughs> I have no uh-huh. idea it happened, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's what my experience was. That
1: what you're talking about there is an outlier way of doing things, right? right like, right, you you can go into a, a snake draft with with a, a sheet somebody else made and do okay. Yeah, you you go into an auction, uh, sorry, a, a salary cap situation, and and. There's just there's not an ADP list there. You can create values and you could try and do that. But those values are not meant for your room. And and to your point, as soon as that starts, those values are mere suggestions because now you have either more or less money than talent available. Unless it goes like everybody goes for value, your prices are all out of whack. One of the things I will say to
2: that, though, is that the suggestion that Rudy had is like you can't game the room is that you basically should have like a projection for everyone's you know like value and like you can go within 2 or 3 bucks of that you know it's like for example i paid more than my sheet said that i should pay for aeronola because i had fed in atc's stuff for aeronola into my thing and i had um kind of artificially pushed pitcher prices down but i knew that pitchers were going to be treated a little bit differently and i was willing to pay up yeah. a couple dollars more for pitchers that i personally liked um, because I knew that if I was going to pay at or above value for a couple of them, I knew other positions where I was going to be able to get some real steals. in. so like I treated pitchers a little bit differently, but everything else I kind of waited on. the The thing is, though, if you just do that throughout, you don't overpay, but you like set a, I need to make sure I have three players in the top, whatever. And you're willing to pay at value for a couple of them. You consistently are bidding. You're not just waiting, waiting, waiting that's how you don't end up in a situation where you spend all your money in the wrong places Is kind of like the sure. theory right and it's tough to do that uh i had to get really lucky that choi went for way less than he should have to me um mm-hmm. to make sure i had spent enough money early on but otherwise like you can kind of game those sorts of things i don't know that a ton of people actually play these things relatively speaking they are so hard to set up also it's fine, getting, That's what I mean. Yeah, to all block out the same evening to be able to be online Mm. is just
1: yeah yeah possible. So yeah, well the barriers to entry I think in in accomplishing what you're saying is it's much higher when you're talking about salary cap than you are uh, snake draft. The one thing you can do in salary cap though, if you don't really know what you're doing, is just follow the leader a little bit. That's that's another way that you can do it. If that guy who's really smart is bidding, I just have to go one more dollar. How dumb am I if I paid an extra dollar? But it's also how you can get trapped into overpaying. If somebody catches on to, to the fact that you're doing that, they can bait you into spending more than you should.
2: Yeah, I, I'm typically willing to go a buck or more above for the real cornerstone guys. But once we get into a point where like, for example, like I got a deal on Alex Bregman, I would not have gone a dollar over Alex Bregman's price. <laughs> like I don't care about it that much. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that's yeah. that's the big thing. So um, yeah. I'm also shocked by the number of people who keep showing up on all of my teams. So then I'm like, am I crazy? Am I doing something wrong? And like, so like Tyler McGill has showed up on multiple of my teams now. And I'm like, <laughs>
1: what am I doing here? Well, I like go Tyler. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Alexander, thanks again for another awesome episode. That does bring us to the end of this one. Um, if you could just go ahead and let the people know where they could find us. Well, they can find you on Twitter at the corked Matt.
2: I'm on Twitter at Chase underscore rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me.
1: All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.